Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. One question I've got for you, just to start off easy for people that are new to finance. Are you long or are you short duration? Oh, I wasn't sure what that was. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to hang on it a bit more. You hang on it for too long. Is that what they call it? You hang on it for too long and um, long, long duration, definitely. So, it's anyone question that up. comes up often. So, anyone listening, what that means, if you're not from finance and you're like, what the hell does that mean? Um, means that you invest in assets that are sensitive to falling interest rates, I guess. So, if interest rates go down, it's good for you. So bonds, like government bonds, not doing equity. You're sensitive to rates falling, but you're also getting a pretty good income at the moment. Yeah, true. Yeah, so long duration. So like a thirty-year U.S. government bond is paying you like four and a half percent. Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. I go back like three or four years. Eighteen months ago. <laughs> Eighteen months ago. I think yeah. that it's like what do we have four percent in rate hikes in twelve months or thirteen months? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's never been done in history. So. Mm. Actually, you did write that in your quarterly review. Yeah, I did say that. <laughs> I'm prone to a little bit of hyperbole every now and then. That's right. I've been told- It's not uh, blood I'm, in the streets <laughs> headlines running around everywhere. I've been told don't don't make everything about fear or- No, you don't. That said, or there's a few words I use a little bit too aggressive. Unprecedented. So. Unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> unpack this. Um, what have you been working on? Uh, lots. I mean, we had a great time up in, up in Queensland and mm. I had my own little- uh, break in Queensland the week after. Yep. Uh, just racking up the frequent fly miles at the moment. Yep. Uh, keeping up with uh, reporting season. Oh, no. Keeping up with... <laughs> <laughs> Heaps of reporting season. Inflation figures are back. The future fund's back. And guess what? What? They're bearish. No, they're bearish. As usual. Wow. Uh, and then Billions. You're a fan of Billions? I haven't watched the latest season. Yep. Is it back? It's back. I think it's, it's Axel. episode three. Axel Axel? Rod. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby Axelrod. <laughs> yeah, what a name <laughs> for a hedge fund manager. So good. It's nothing like the real world, I hope, but uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't give you a little bit of a, a, an escape. We did a- um, I was like super sensitive to this earlier and we got sponsored by Stan Billions like for one of the first uh, seasons we Stan did. Stan sponsored yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And- um, I then felt oh, like you thought it was morally, yeah, <laughs> I had to go and watch the show. I'm like, they're talking about front running and insider trading. Like, I don't know if this is the right thing, but to hell with that. We'll take it. That's when streaming services weren't even popular yet, wasn't it? Stan's like so expensive now. I they're can't all, believe it. I can't even keep track of what 
what, subscriptions I've got. Yeah. <laughs> if it works, it works. The yeah. kids are buying one every now and then. Yeah, yeah. You managed to fit in some client meetings up on uh, all around, really. You, Renato. Yeah, I think we may, met, we've got clients in every city, which is great. Uh, I think we caught up with a couple of people in Gold Coast, Brisbane. Even caught up with someone in Noosa on yep. the weekend too, or during the week. Yeah, great. I, uh, I sometimes I forget what day it is. So <laughs> change Friday. Mixing business with pleasure. First of September, it's Wattle Day. We've got to remember that. Yes, so it is Wattle Day. So National Wattle Day. National Wattle Day. Is that, wait, when you say that, what does that mean? It's actually National Wattle Day, the first day of spring. So for all those people that have been worried about this long winter, the first day of spring today. September, October, so this November, is like, spring. This we is, forget this. This is dawning on me. So, obviously, Drew's and Jamie's firm is called Waddle Partners. Yes. Which would make sense that you have your big client gathering today. On National Waddle Day. We are recording this uh, 45 minutes before Drew has to get on a, <laughs> on a bus. <laughs> to go to lunch again. <laughs> to go to lunch. Um, so, Waddle Day. So, what happens for you? Like, okay, forget the plants in the spring and all that. What actually happens for you and the clients t- today? Uh, it's basic. Well, the, as we talked about a lot, we do a lot of we focus only on retirement. So basically, we're trying to bring groups of people together. So we've got about seventy people, a few flying in from other um, cities, clients, and then some potential clients we're working with. Uh, and basically, we'll go do a bit of a wine tasting in the Yarra Valley, and then have a big long table lunch uh, with a couple of guest speakers. One of your old favourites is joining us too. Who's that? Professor Andrew Derrimuth. Bill no. Mitchell. <laughs> I was like, he's been upgraded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, modern monetary theory. Is I don't he really? think any of them know about Andrew Mr. Dermot, so I'm going to keep that under wraps. Really? You're bringing, so, Bill's coming out to the Arrow Valley? Yeah, Bill's going to do a- He, he lives um, he's know, in from Blockway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He works What's his actual University residential address in case anyone- <laughs> <laughs> He's no, driving up to join us. Um, that's great. That's great. He's and it, it's something topical professor. and something very different. To, uh, to what most people would have heard. So, we all mm. just read the newspaper and we've, you've done sessions on MMT and yeah. uh, there's still this a lot of assumptions about inflation, how the economy works. So, I'm sure it'll be quite a heated discussion after he delivers his I'm sure his someone will have opinions. Of, you know, we're, <laughs> the, the cohort, definitely. How many <laughs> How many people come to Waddle Day? Uh, I think we've got about 70 today. So, 10, 11 staff from Waddle yep. and about 60 clients joining us that's great isn't it I, I feel like that's amazing like that on two buses on two buses <laughs> a bit of motion sickness <laughs> after a few ones well, there's a few naps on the way back <laughs> yeah. mainly from our from, team yeah. <laughs> not clients um that's uh that's great i think that's wonderful isn't it like i i know i've been banging on to you and jamie about this how important it is to have community yeah. around financial like businesses i think it's just so important i think everyone that is in the finance industry misses this and I think when you forget about retirement is that so much is non-investment. And that's what we talk yeah. about a lot, that it is the social side. So, everyone there has something in common and it's let's let's bring them all together. And as mm. you, you suggested, well, what uh, as you saw when Jamie was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we just steal each other as ideas. <laughs> we do give each other credit to it, credit for it. Occasionally. But but this idea of you know National Waddle Day, rather than doing a big Christmas party like most most people do, well let's let's think about doing a quarterly catch up in a different yeah. city. Um, I think and it's keep so building good. that community. I think it's so good because anyone that joins Waddle, it's not just um, you don't just you know see your financial advisor, give them a call every now and again. They can make friends with someone else who's at the same life stage. Exactly. And they can share ideas, and this and is what we'll we're pay for lunch. On. Yeah, and you guys pay for lunch. <laughs> I remember uh, you got you guys used to send them a box of cherries on their birthday or something. I was like, damn, I want that box of cherries. Or and, gin for Christmas. Gin for Christmas. Wow. Okay. Anyway, um, what have you been working on? Uh, 
Wait, what? what's there's a, there's a note here. All right, we do we do have two weeks worth of notes here, so you can. <laughs> you a, can were we going to apologise for what happened last I'm week? I'm going to highlight this bit of note that you've got. So we each do notes. Drew does better notes than I do. <laughs> Maybe this one, we don't have this one. <laughs> this one just says divorce advice. What does that mean? Oh, uh, well, Jamie's bringing up quite regularly in our office grey divorce. So like oh, the okay. level of grey divorce is is massive, and it's something quite a lot of people kind of forget. He did actually reference that at the roadshow in Terrellgood, the event. <laughs> he did actually he, no, he did actually reference that like when people get to a certain amount of money, yeah. the divorce rate goes up. Yeah, yeah. which exactly. is which is really interesting. And retirement is a trigger as well. Wow, because naturally you, you could spend more time together. Why, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, you're, and yet your life changes fundamentally. Changes. Yeah, you feel yeah. like like purpose and whatever. Yeah, and it's and it's quite you know, like as you talk about a lot. Uh, financial literacy is quite low, yeah, or incredibly low in Australia, and divorce is typically when you know that can be shown speci- you know significantly, and that and yeah. that difference in education. Yep. Um, but it's something that we've done quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, a lot of the, not to bang on it too much, but a lot of the model clients are female, aren't they? Yep. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the key decision makers, whether it's a couple or uh, a you know a single person, yep. um, it's generally been. The, the female oh, right. in in a lot of relationships. Yeah, great. Um, speaking of something a little bit more uh, kind, City Chick, seventeen percent fall in sales, net losses of forty five million dollars. Thoughts? Are you taking my notes again? <laughs> you have not <laughs> no, prepared got, for this at no, all. No, I've got my own notes. Okay, I'll give you some notes. <laughs> no, no, it's right. <laughs> um, great. Had a great seafood lunch in Townsville. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, it's called Sea Bar. If you're in Townsville along the promenade there, I've never been to. I've been to Townsville, never been to the promenade along the water. Unbelievable! You can take a stroll. Townsville's on. on the water. Well, that's why I always drove into the main town. I'm like, where's the water at? Um, but yes, it is. And I got to say, Townsville is actually beautiful. Like some of the old buildings. Like you got the the mountain, or the, I don't know what you call that hill. I think I'm going to say it's called Castle Hill. Sorry, sorry guys. Uh, in the middle of town, and it looks down. People are blown away by that. Uh, but there's a great seafood lunch I can highly recommend. Seafood platter for one at the Sea Bar if you're on the water. Uh, unbelievable. Other news and what we've been working on. We're going around um, Australia. If you haven't already got your roadshow ticket, you can get them there. In the, there's a link in the show notes. It's 40 bucks. That's food and drink as well. It costs us money, so might as well take advantage. Arbitrage. The record show that you have five dot points of preparation. I have 200. <laughs> Made the record show. Yeah, but I come out with like the real good stuff. So, um, but yeah, um, got two senior analysts starting today. Actually, they're walking in the office probably soon. They're probably going to oh, walk beautiful. in and be like, where is everyone? They're all at what of they? Um, but uh, the roadshow um, has been really good. Really, really good. We're hoping if you're in Sydney, in and around Sydney uh, on October 3rd, this is a Tuesday night, uh, the two of us will be there. Jamie will be there. Um we're going to have Queenie versus Queenie. We're going to have the guys from Perla, Globalex, Magellan's going to be there, like some of the analysts like Elisa DeMarco. Um, we're going to have Chris Bates, Amy Lenardi, Pete Wargent, um, like everyone, Evan Lucas that you know massive. from any of our shows, Kate, of course, like our whole team, the network is going to be there. It's going to be massive. I think potentially, I haven't spoken to him about it yet, but I think Glenn James is going to do a bit of an icebreaker for us from My Millennial Money. Um, hopefully the guys from Equity Mates will be there. I chatted to them during the week. So it's going to be a huge, huge, huge event. Um, tickets are 40 bucks. You can bring a friend. So two, if you buy two tickets, use the coupon code FRIEND, singular, FRIEND. That gets you 20 bucks off. If you want to bring more than, you want to bring your colleagues, you want to bring your friends, you want to bring your lovers, whatever you want to bring, your kids, your parents, doesn't matter. <laughs> your dividend buddy. Uh, friends, plural. <laughs> friends. And that gets you 33% off. Three for two, six for four, whatever. Quick math. Um, 
other than that, that's basically all I've been working on. Um, I did see from... Uh, go back to City Chic. Well, yeah, maybe before we get that, just real quick, I'll pay some lip service to this. Uh, Global X, sponsor of the, sh- the Australian Finance Podcast, not this one, the other one, um, did come out with their N100 ETF, the US100. So N100 is a ticker symbol. Um, really interesting ETF, 24 basis points. Uh, that's probably the big news from the fund land. I can't think of anything else from funds management that really took the headlines this week. And that's direct against uh, beta shares, right? Yeah. 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 Um, at half the price at yeah. the moment. Different index, though. So, keep that in mind. Oh, di- it is different? Oh, so is that a selective? This is a, a Globalex index, yeah. whereas the beta shares one is the NASDAQ yeah, yeah, 100. Still NASDAQ yeah. 100, yeah. yeah. Um, Which isn't going to be much different. Altium came out with results. Let's move to results then. Uh, Altium <laughs> came out with results really strong. I was like, I looked at the share price of Altium over the past six months, Drew. Altium being the software company that makes printed circuit boards. Over the last 10 years, off the top of my head, it's the third best performing company in the country after Prometicus, then Objective Corp, then Altium. It's the third best. Maybe Pilbara's kind of creeping up that list now. But um, I was looking at that and I was like, the share price hasn't gone anywhere this year. All the other tech stocks like WiseTech, um, Prometicus, Objective Corp, all of these tech stocks, REA Group, have done so well in 2023. Altium, nothing, came out with a huge profit result, sales up, uh, profit up, record results basically, and shares jumped 35%. <laughs> in a session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is so demoralizing because I was like, oh, I might just snap some up. And if no one else is interested, I think these are pretty good results. Um, next day I wake up. It was a boring chart, wasn't it? Brian? And then all of a sudden, ping, straight up. So re- it's probably like my top result from reporting season, to be honest. It's pretty cheap compared to ProMedicus. Well, anything's cheap compared to ProMedicus. 61 times earnings. <laughs> 61 times. But this is the thing. Okay. Half the price of ProMedicus. So Altium competes in a way against Cadence Systems, against Mentor Graphics, which is now owned by Siemens, um, a little bit against Ansys and those types of businesses, designing printed circuit boards. Um, like it makes the software for them. It doesn't actually create the boards itself. Keep that in mind. But what's really interesting is all of these businesses are established and they do something slightly different. But Altium, amongst professional engineers and designers, it probably has the best software. Yeah. And it seems to be catching on with more and more of the market. But if you just take a very simple crude metric, market cap, Altium's under $10 billion, well under. These other competitors are tens of billions of dollars. And they're, again, they're slightly different businesses. But- Is that because it's based in Australia? It could be, but it's, it's you know, I think, you know, the majority of the team, I can't remember the exact number of employees, but I think the majority of the team is the US now. Um, I just think it's underappreciated of what it could do. Now, I'm not saying it's going to do that, but what it could do, that's potential. Um, I just feel like a lot of people have doubted it time and again. There is a risk on the horizon, and it's kind of like already here, which is Cadence Systems. I wrote about this. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, Cadence Systems, who is the probably the chief competitor to Altium, they have their own version of this, and they call it Allegro AI, and they've now been able to use machine learning or like this proper AI now, um, on top of their software. So a human can design a printed circuit board with the hum- with the AI assistance. So they were able to take like what would normally take like if a board is say inside an iPhone or inside a recording device like we've got in front of us here, they can design that printed circuit board in 75 minutes versus three days. Yeah. 
So it's like the AI and the AI knots. Is learned, yeah. yeah. Who, who has it, who doesn't. And Altium, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have that functionality yet. So that is a key risk. It's a highly competitive market. Yeah. But it's a brilliant Niche. business. Brilliant business. That's mine. What about City Chick? Something that people can uh, wrap their head around. What does City Chick do even? Uh, they sell women's clothing generally. Yeah, retail. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think, uh, well, this is, uh, I was trying to brief Renato before we went on stage for a few of these roadshow events before I realized I was the rookie at being on stage. Yeah. He'd done Toastmasters for two years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, literally just walking up. If you ever need an answer like this, just I just tried to impart some wisdom. He's like, yeah, I'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, if, Jeez, there's, <laughs> if anyone ever, ever asked you about a sector- that um that you're worried about ahead of reporting season like it's always retail right easy. like it, it's not not that it's the easy answer it is just so broad yeah and yes it's the easy answer but people can wrap their heads around yeah. it and be like oh retail of course yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you go to jb hi-fi at one end like this super discount you've got city chic which is like a niche uh yeah. women's clothing uh harvey norman got, la visa uh, yeah, costco <laughs> it's so niche that you can see massive differences but yeah. i mean we've talked about interest rates a lot we don't have to go into that in detail again. I'm sure we will. Uh, but City Chic, they went a bit of an acquisition spree. Or maybe maybe it's not a spree. Maybe one or two mm. acquisitions overseas. But they just reported, so 17% fall in sales for the financial year, filtering wow. off the prior year. But more probably concerningly was that in the first eight weeks of the new financial year, sales were down 33%. That's huge. Um, and, and for like, a business that's acquired, that shouldn't happen. Normally yeah. sales should go up, right? But the problem was... Similar to what a lot of these companies did was they end up having too much stock. Kogan was the perfect example, which has kind of felt at bottom now. Yeah, You get all that stock, then you have to write down the value of that stock on your balance sheet and that write down offsets all the profit or the sales that you've been making. Yep. But now you've got this discount of stock. Usually discounting would increase your sales, but you're getting the complete opposite. And so. you get your brand damaged, right? It's yeah, pretty, exactly. yeah. And then you had this extension of that was in, um, not sure if you saw Prosper. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't see the result now. I don't even know what they they do personal loans. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So similar to what we saw with what we talked about with Zip and Afterpay, uh, bad debts increased ten percent. They switched to a a loss from a from a profit, mm-hmm. and their ninety day arrears. So people are 90, 90 days behind on payments nearly doubled, um, <laughs> and you're seeing just massive impairments on their loan book that um, they'll likely struggle to. To recover. Further down the curve, mate. Further down the curve. And it's, I mean, it's high risk. I think it's unsecured personal loans. I'm not 100% sure. So happy to be corrected on that. Yeah, just PR from. uh, And this (laughs) is why some of those companies, I'm sure they'll reach out pretty quickly. (laughs) Is it personal loans? Yeah. Yeah. We'll just go with that. Yeah. We'll just make it up. (laughs) But this is where, like, you've talked in the past, there used to be a company called Thorn Group, which was a a shop that did like debt collection as well. They had a debt collection business that was quite. And this is the thing about different economic environments is where debt collection starts become an attractive business uh, where you're able to you know, buy bad debts from companies like this that, are, that still need to grow mm. uh, and then and recover more than it was sold for essentially. So this is why the, I think there's just everyone talks about going out of markets when there's a recession, um, but there are actually companies that can perform well. Whether you're comfortable investing in a debt collection agency is another question. Um, <laughs> that's just, we, we've had a week off. And, uh, <laughs> We're a bit rusty. Yeah. Prosper Group Limited is a leading fintech with a commitment to unleash the potential of small business in Australia. Oh, small business lending. Yeah, well, yeah. I stand corrected. Where they do this through an innovative approach. But unsecured. To developing simple, stress-free and seamless financial management products. Um, anyway, in debt collection, I think it's hard to go past Credit Corp, ASX, yep. CCP. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, the the country's leader. It's been proven time and again. Uh, but these are cyclical businesses, right? And um, on debt collection, more um, more I guess pointedly, is that uh, a lot of people think about debt collection businesses as like it going into a cycle when, like we are now, where arrears are rising, and that they think, oh, it's really bad for debt collection, and often the shares get sold down. Yeah, and that can happen because there's a tail risk. But what happens with those types of businesses, in, I've found, is that those are probably the best times to buy them because they're purchasing debt. So that they buy the bad debt. They're at called, a discount. At a, discount, yeah. a steep discount to what, say, Commonwealth Bank or Telstra wants to get rid of that debt for. And um, they can purchase it really cheap and then recoup it over the next two or three years from the customers, even though they might be struggling now. In a year or so, they might recoup it. And you think the, the lenders want to sell it because it frees up money on their they balance need, sheet? They, they need to get it off the balance sheet, particularly yeah. these ASX listed companies where they need to clean it up. Because otherwise, their share prices get punished so a, even further. So you've got an incentivized seller yeah. and a buyer able to capitalize on that. Yeah, and the, the thing is the buyer normally gets crunched, like credit court got crunched during the GFC, but then it came right back. So, um, Two massive reports yeah, okay, we missed got, from the week yeah, before. Yes, go for it. Where's Farmers? Where do we, oh, I was going to start with a fun one. Okay, you know, get fun one, get fun one. This was insane, seriously. NVIDIA? Yeah. Did you see the revenue, the data center sales on this? I got a glance of it. I can't remember if it was your update or someone's update. I got a glance at it, but I was looking at, because I was just looking at like the step change yeah. in earnings and I was like, holy heck, it's like on a forward price earnings ratio of like 40. Quarterly profit up 800%. <laughs> it made 6 billion in a quarter profit from 600 million, the prior, like the comparable quarter. And it was all data center and AI chips, essentially. So data center sales. Well, it seems like the the hype meister's got this one right for a change. And it's still running, like it's at an old, another all time high. And they're saying, and not only that, they're saying there's more sales and more like this yeah, is late. They were demand. super, super bullish in their outlook. Yeah, I mean they probably always are, but <laughs> but I was the thing is like you get these hyper growth companies once they hit that inflection point, people like the the valuations outrageous, but actually on a, like a forward basis, if they if it's sustainable, and at this time, there seems like there's no reason to say it's not. It's a double negative. Ouch. Um, Can Intel even compete? Who's Intel? <laughs> there's, your, there's your tag. What's for an this Intel? Week. What's, a, what's an Intel? <laughs> Intel should just be making buying chips from NVIDIA, right? Well, that's it. Yeah. It, it, it's a super business. You've talked about this before. Um, no I, one saw this coming. I did a... Um, I did a very quick. I'm going to Maybe get this Jamie. Up. Jamie might have seen this coming when he was on ChatGPT all Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> instead, of, instead of spending time with the family, get out of it, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Doing my ChatGPT. <laughs> um, I'm going to try and get something out. I think I did a very quick valuation of like what it would take to justify the current valuation. It's probably already there. Um, it probably is, to be honest. I can't. I don't have it in front of me right now. I'll probably look it up and post it on Twitter if anyone's interested. Um, but at the end of the day, these types of business very hard to value, but to not have exposure to them is pretty dangerous. This is a massive driver of the Fang ETF. I was I know. Yeah, you would well know. Aware. <laughs> greatest call of all time. At least greatest call on the podcast. That, um, oh, what's it? I can't say credit to me. <laughs> <laughs> credit to you, sir. But. Um, I was chatting to Kanish Chug from uh, GlobalX yesterday, issuer of the um, Fang Plus ETF. And That's he, a chart. He was saying, it, can you go year today? Is it up 80%, the Fang ETF? 84%. 84%. Yes. Like, talk about ETFs. I don't think I've ever seen an ETF that's not leveraged. Do 84% in 84%. eight months. Have you ever seen a non-leveraged ETF do that? Maybe like lithium for a short period of time, but more like up. 
top like down, pretty, choppy. pretty choppy. But I don't think that happens very Can often. Can you do the and chart? And I know we've had a core versus satellite with Fang a few times. It's yeah. definitely not. Yeah, it, it's now proven that it's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, can you go in my port in the portfolios I build anyway? Can you? Yeah, no, no, it's fair enough. Can you go um, Nasdaq 100 this year? So Fang's up 84. percent What's the Nasdaq up? Because the, the, this basically uh, shows for anyone listening, if you compare the Fang ETF versus the Nasdaq 100, you're basically comparing the top 10 from the Nasdaq. Basically. Over over under. I'd say 40 percent. 40 percent. I'd say over. 45 percent. So, the, so, so, Fang's almost doubled the Nasdaq, but, and this is what we've talked about before, because those companies in the Fang probably with less vol, probably, those companies in the top ten, it's so top heavy the Nasdaq now. Yeah. Whereas you go back five years, it was a lot more balanced. Like you'd have like Costco. I reckon and there's more diversification in Fang. Revenue diversification. I don't know how you can do that, but. <laughs> well, the benefit on. of Fang. <laughs> Well, the benefit of FANG is that it's equal weighted. Yeah. And the drawback. True. Uh, I mean, it's not much different really, is it? No, it just... Okay, let's scrap that from the record. <laughs> um, so, Wes Farmers came out with results. 18% increase in sales, Drew. Not surprising. Uh, yeah, I was just driving back from the airport yesterday and saw the giant new buddings in near Northland, you know, Preston. Oh, really? Yeah. It's the biggest thing you've ever seen. Really? Like, they used to have one on the corner. Got to fit in, in all that pet food. That you couldn't get in and out of. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, yeah, it's like a suburb of itself so something's clearly going right there i saw something very bold the other day a bowens was getting like built right across the street from what's the, a bowen yeah the, yeah cheers mate <laughs> um a bowens was getting open oh, right across of, um, the road from a um bunnings metcash i think i think they own I, i'm gonna i'm gonna google this because i was trying to figure this out because i think bowens is brilliant some all the tradies listening to this are like what the f's he on about um but Bowens is obviously the company that does a lot of like, it's more for tra- built for trades. So I'm just going to bring this up. But um, I thought that was quite bold. And I always thought, well, maybe they should compete head to head with Bunnings because it would make sense because they have typically higher quality products. But um, yeah, really good result, Drew. Yeah, solid result. Better than expected. I think they're more resilient than a lot of people thought. Yep. Um, I think, what was it? Uh, sales were up 18% for the financial year. It's still like 60% Bunnings. Um, mm. which has been a bit slower. Uh, I think I put the figures here. But Bunnings revenue was up 4.4% for the year, but only 2.4% in the second half. So naturally, we're not in... I think what's happened in the US is a bit different to what's happened here, where those fixed-rate mortgages are forcing people to renovate more, yeah. whereas the increase in construction costs here are probably putting it on hold, and you've seen a lot of construction companies fall over. Uh, so I don't think there may be some latent demand coming for that, Shortly, because property markets are kind of settling. Uh, but the highlight was they've they've turning a lot of Targets into Kmart's. Yeah, they get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and rebranding and Kmart's. So off of off a low base because they had a very difficult few years. Kmart revenue is up sixteen percent. Production of lithium set to. So this is what we talk about: revenue diversification. Mm. Their lithium mine is going to produce in the next twelve months. Um, the healthcare business, so they bought Priceline and and the related businesses, is up to the third largest source of revenue for the group. Uh, so it's just that diverse range of income streams, and then it's pretty resilient. So this is where we, someone asked the question when we we're in Brisbane. Um, sorry, the last three weeks been like a yeah, bit of a blackout. Just, uh, Dr. <laughs> Andrew Derriman has been were. on the road. He's been um, spiraling. But the question was, what what uh, ratios do you look for? When oh, buying yeah. stock, which is a difficult question to uh, answer on stage, and I just go back to 
what do you want in retirement? You want consistent cash flow, so mm. free cash flow yield. West Farm is beautiful at that. And return on invested capital. So they're great at allocating capital to businesses that are then growing and compounding themselves, similar to, you say, sole pats all the time, which is a, well, a it's similar the same thing. story. Yeah. Well, I was actually speaking to Fiona Belzar from, she's the head of advocacy at, um, at the Australian Shareholders Association, sponsor of the show. Thank you very much. Join the Australian Shareholders Association. Um, and she was saying that when she started her career in the 80s and 90s, her job was just to review conglomerates and entrepreneurial <laughs> companies. That's what they called it. And she just saw them basically, most of them just blow up. <laughs> but some of them, i.e. these, basically these two of them have survived. Um, but it's done an excellent job of capital allocation over the years. Now, before we get to questions, um, because we're running over time here, Drew, we're already 27 minutes in, Christ. Um, there was a great article in the AFR, Qantas Grand Theft Klepto from Joe Asson. It's a banger. Uh, you can get it uh, on the AFR. It basically just talks about how Qantas has now come out with a huge, stupendous profit, $2.5 billion. And apparently, I'm on a bit of a crusade at the moment, Drew. Did you add that Qantas to my notes? I did, yeah. <laughs> um, see, I do things that you just don't notice. It's to nudge you in the right direction. Um Apparently, Qantas still, uh, between Qantas and Jetstar, they still owe something like four or five hundred million dollars back to people from, uh, from oh, COVID. Oh, yep. And then, then they were apparently selling tickets that, to cancelled flights. Yeah, something like this. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> not a good week for PR at Qantas. <laughs> Is it ever a good week for PR at Qantas? If you I want mean, to be a PR person, go and work at Qantas because you'll get a good workout. I always try to. Try to, you know, oil companies, Qantas, good examples where, you you know, everyone complains about how big their profit is, but no one complains when they lose a billion dollars in a year and are still yeah. paying staff and that sort of thing. But, I mean, not not, not supporting what, what's happened this week, that's, uh, mm. I'm sure there'll be legal action over it, or there already is, um, so yep. we won't um, yep. comment on that. But then, the, then you had uh, the government essentially not allowing Qatar to increase their yeah. capacity which directly results in higher profits for the existing airlines. Yes, it does. So between having fewer flights- In a tough week of PR. Between having fewer flights from Qantas, they can increase prices. Yeah. And the government steps in to block Qatar. But if you think about it, I, underst I understand the rationale from the government. Like, I'm going to take the other side, devil's advocate. It's bad timing, right? It's a bad time, but I understand why they've done it. Because if you think about it, all those other airlines are- just juiced by the government coffers. Like yeah, they exactly. just throw money at those airlines because they know how important they are to their like national economy, yep. to their security, all those things. So we need one that's basically ours. It just happens to be A6 listed Qantas? No, I do not because it's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Never fly Qantas. <laughs> Might fly Jetstar uh, for personal use, but- um, yeah, never. This but, is, this we is what we that. forget in trade wars, right? Like where where China adds tariffs to some. Oh man, we're really hitting a few <laughs> things today. <laughs> what uh, else? You got? What's your view on something they else? Tariffs, <laughs> but when they hit tariffs on something, they're subsidising their own industry, and we don't. We subsidise our own industries yeah. in a lot of ways as well. I mean, airlines is one of them, and there's multi agricultural yeah. industries. Absolutely, we do smelting. You know, like heaps of industries we subsidise, but you know that's not in the headlines when you refineries when you see the decision. It's just really bad timing, right? When you're, you've basically given more profit indirectly yep. to a company at the same time that they've been charging people yep. or selling cancelled flights and then and, cancelling. Um, and very high fees <laughs> on the airline. Like, yeah, it's they call this crisis management, I think. <laughs> Final result, RPM Global came out with an absolute stellar result. RPM Global tra trades under the ticker symbol RUL. Don't get confused. RUL is a ticker symbol on the ASX. It is a software company for mining 
businesses. So it sells software to mining businesses. Um, transitioning to subscription revenue, if you haven't already taken a look at the results, go and do that. Uh, if you're a small cap, mid cap investor on the ASX. Reason being, it's one of the few super high quality software companies on the ASX run by an owner operator named Richard Matthews that hasn't experienced that explosive share price increase for no reason other than the froth in the market. It's actually a really interesting business. Uh, go and do your own research. So um, two more hypotheticals for Drew, real quick. Answers under 30 seconds, please. Oh, these are really tough ones. What's your worst investment ever? So this goes back to, I think it was like 2016. Mm-hmm. There's a company called, really bad to talk about, Forge Group. Mm-hmm. So like, have you heard of it? Yeah, didn't they do like engineering yeah. or something? It was like an engineering company that were building gas projects or yeah. energy projects. Uh, basically, you bought it <clears throat> and there was such big blowouts on the cost of their fixed price contracts that the company was in administration within six weeks. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Bought the bottom. Uh, next one. Worst, in- <laughs> worst investment advice you ever got? Uh, so, the, I was saying this before. No, I've never got really investment advice, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I've been told what to do by a lot of clients <laughs> at different points. So, I thought I'd reverse that and go, I think one of the worst things people have told me is that you don't need to invest overseas. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, we're very big on diversification, but- a lot of people think it's risky to go overseas, you know, to invest the currency and the platforms and the tax and all that. But I just go, everyone in your family has an iPhone. Yeah. You, you need to be investing overseas as much, if not more, than what you're investing in Australia. Yeah. That was the worst advice I've received from a client. Yeah. Don't say who the client is. I remember, yeah, I've seen some stuff. Um, you know, when you get advice, no offense to the wonderful taxi drivers and uh, Uber drivers <laughs> of the world, but you know, when it hits that level of people just unsolicited advice, um, that it's probably something's in the air. And I remember getting in, a, in an Uber here in Melbourne one time and this guy out of nowhere just started telling me how much he's invested in, I can't remember Solana. what. It was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, was like, I, I didn't even ask for this. This was like peak COVID um, or like peak crypto craze. And that went bank. That went just. Dis- I can't remember the currency. I can't remember what it is. But it basically went missing in about two or three weeks. I don't know what he ended up doing. But um, yeah, I think there's plenty of really bad advice Definitely. out there. Like there's probably anything more in a bad barbecue advice. or in a taxi. Generally, stay away from. Yeah. Um. Or after a few cocktails. Okay, we're gonna answer some questions. I had a quick. Okay. Go. Future fund came out. You see that? <laughs> Joe Aston, I think, or the, maybe the Fin Review made it. Wrote a couple of interesting articles that basically the future fund is the most bearish investor going around. Every year okay. they talk about yep. risk, 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 risk. Uh, they post, I mean, this is, and this is, I'm not saying it's a negative, it's kind of been seen as a negative and the industry fund sector has said how good they are compared to future fund because most of them did about eight or 9% for the year mm-hmm. and the future fund did six. But the future fund deliberately said, we're not comfortable taking risk. We don't need to, we're above our benchmark. So we're reducing the risk that we're taking. So I thought it was kind of a interesting aggressive move from that sector to say how well they performed compared to the future fund, but at the same time, they've taken more risk, benefited from what happened in global equities, and this is a future fund that decided they didn't want to take more risk on. Um, How big is a future fund these days? 200 billion. Yeah, right. So they started with 60 billion, no no leverage, maybe leverage within some of their funds, but no outright leverage or Mm -hmm. lending, and they've grown 200 billion. How big is Aussie Super? That would have to be close. close I think it's just over two. It might be slightly bigger. Yeah, right. 
Aussie Super representing 2 million people. And CPI? We're going to go past CPI? CPI, of course. Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, here we are. Continues to fall. Studio. That's all that matters. Down to 4.9% in the month. This is the new monthly yeah. measure, which yeah, is probably no, a bit... That's probably a bit shaky. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, good, good for you, mate. I reckon interest rates done? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Someone did ask me 100%, this week, though. 100%. Wow. I'd go at least 99. <laughs> Someone asked me this week, though, what about the currency? Because the Aussie is so weak... Do yeah. we need to increase? Because uh, one of the there's two drivers of um, uh, interest. Oh, sorry, currency. Currency. Uh, the one of the biggest ones is interest rate differential. So the yeah. US is getting further and further away from our interest rate, which means more and more people are generally putting their cash. Global investors. We live in a global. Well, they're putting economy, their cash in the yeah. US. Which someone asked, well, what what's the risk that the RBA increases interest rates in Just order to protect the currency? And I said, that's it. <laughs> Andrew said that's <laughs> incredibly low, <laughs> mainly because the impact on the economy is going to be worse than what you can do to the currency. You know, a yeah. 25 basis point increase to try and support the currency will send property even, you know, have even bigger issues in property and lending. Yeah. So, I, th- I think that's highly unlikely that we'd do it to protect the currency mm. um, and you're probably more likely to see cuts elsewhere. Interesting. The basket of US dollars is rallying actually. Yeah, I was watching that on Bloomberg the other day. That um, the basket of US currency, like because you know we just normally from Australia we just say Australia, US, yeah, Aussie US. Yeah, yeah. US. But like the overall global currencies against the US, the US is rallying, um, and that's probably a problem for them as well, right? So they definitely they will have problems from that if their currency gets too strong. So it tends to have a balancing effect. We're going to answer some questions now. We've got your questions. You can send them in advance. Um, there's a link in the show notes in your podcast player right in front of you that says, ask a question. Click that. Select the Australian Investors Podcast. You can speak to myself, Drew Meredith here from Waddle Partners Financial Planning, or Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, Drew's alter ego, who answers the big questions. Um, and he's wrong. Just remember that any of the questions that we do answer are strictly general financial information. We don't know your personal circumstances or what your needs, goals, or objectives might be. So speak to a licensed and trusted financial planner before you act on any information you ever hear in a RAS podcast. And that's just the way the rules are in Australia, but it's also prudent because we just simply don't know how these things would relate to you. We also we also ask for silly questions sent in advance. The winner of the silliest or most creative question each week gets a pass to the Value Investor Program on RASC Education. $499 course, yours for free. Just write into us if we select your question and name as the most creative. NRI in Oz. I don't know what that means. NRI and Oz? Not sure. Not sure. Too creative, perhaps. <laughs> I've been investing in ETFs, but now want to explore licks as well. However, can't decide which lick to pick. <laughs> Silly question. Is there an ETF containing a basket of Aussie licks? Love the dad jokes. Well, we've got to come up with the dad Everyone joke. Everyone says that. That's great. Um, that is good. That means they'd listen to the end of an episode. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Leave, give the people what they want at the end. Um, there is not an e- the dad joke. There is not an ETF of licks because what you'd end up with is you'd end up paying fees on the ETF and then fees on the lick. Yeah. So you'd end up with two layers of costs, which probably doesn't make a lot of sense because e- licks are pretty diverse anyway. Um, diversified show. Um, some of them anyway. I would just say go and pick the lick that you think you want because they're typically actively managed. So... You're basically placing a bet. That would be like a fund of funds in a way. Um, some of the biggest listed investment companies 
are very diversified. Like look at Argo or Afic. Yeah. They're basically a replication of the ASX 200. Yeah. So um, you probably wouldn't want just a basket of licks. And uh, we call that an indirect cost ratio where there's like other costs associated with the thing that you're investing in. Like there's an extra layer of costs that you're not aware of. That would be off the charts. Anything it, else to add? It depends why you're looking at licks if you're already in ETFs because as we know, they're different. We had this question mm. last week. Yeah. Mm. That their listed investment companies are close end and 90, I think something like 98% trade at a discount yeah. to the value of their assets. So why are you investing in them? Is there a better way to do it? Uh, and I think the big one would be the the closest thing you've got to a ETF of LICs is someone like Wilson, Jeff Wilson, who you yeah. interviewed, who goes and tries to buy licks trading at discount and advocate for change. But that's a very different strategy to what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, and I'd say the more pure exposures at the moment uh, would be for an ETF, depending on what your objective yeah, is. Yeah, you could even go an active ETF, to be honest, yeah. if you wanted. There are more of those on the ASX now. There's just there's the structure for non for the smallest or for the not not the largest is just quite um, challenging. Yeah. In that so many trade to discount, and that discount may, may never be yeah. be closed. Some of those licks are awful, by the way. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Some of them are. <laughs> Like, not saying Jeff's ones. I'm just saying some of them in the market are really We're going for it today. No, like, that's like his stamping fees from a few years ago. Yeah, Honestly, three, two, the three lick percent. providers paying the financial advisors to recommend their fund. Like, that's old not ma- Old mate was pretty big on this too. It's, remember him riding in the fin. Anyway, Sorry, the Witcher says, <laughs> there are so many financial advisors in the country. This is a good one for you. Making it difficult to find if one uh, find one that's suitable. Do you have a top five or ten financial advisors slash firms you think people should avoid? Say like Evans and Partners. This is from The Witcher. Do you have a five <laughs> that you should avoid? Yeah. Jeez. What, I actually asked Renato about this and he said, you can't mention this. <laughs> I said Derrimuth planning. <laughs> Derrimuth Derim- long-term consulting. Bear market bull fund. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, there is like there's a well. Actually, no, I'll take this back. We have seen over the last five years a um, significant improvement yeah. in the good and the bad because <laughs> because, because I, it went from thirty two thousand to sixteen. Well, it did so the only ones that remain had to be qualified. Yeah, had to pass an ethics exam. Pass an like we have to disclose more things. Yeah, it's for exactly. the better. So it's getting. It's got a lot better. And this is, I think, in five or 10 years, all these people that are really negative about financial advisors will start to realize that it's really, really a professional thing. It's been cleaned up in a big way. And I think that's positive. So credit to everyone that's worked on that. Um, yeah, but, I think it's hard but how to- how do you know? I mean, what we've always seen is is people that- um, We don't have a list, by the way. No, no, no we, we never will. <laughs> uh, people that are too focused on investments- so maybe that's just the evolution of us. That if it's solely based on investment returns, like financial advice, you should be getting broader, structural, yeah. like strategic um, and, advice, and so yeah. much more is emotional and, and educational in our view. Um, as you you put a few things in there, but either a, a bigger problem is there is such a spread that you don't know. You know, you said anyone that's pushing their own product, uh, anyone that's pushing property, all these kind of very specific. But yeah. a lot of the time, you don't know until you get to the the point of the advice because the 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 front end it looks the is, same. is ho- holistic financial advice. But and yeah. everyone has their specialty, so people come in. We try to be as open as possible, saying we only do retirement, so people aren't surprised when they get a quote from us or, yeah. or see our advice. Um, I'd be more saying- But you guys also give your fees up front. 
Yeah, we're very, yeah, we want to be very clear on that. Yeah, and people can make a decision there and then. They don't get the fees once they've gone and committed to the process. Yeah, um, which is really important. I'd probably try and flip the question and say I'd, I'd be happily give you five advisors that would suit what you're looking for rather than tell you which one's not to go to. Interesting. Um, one of the other tricks you've what probably would, seen is- Wait, wait, wait. So, sorry. Wasn't Jamie ta- talking to us the other day about creating a list of advisors? Because you know how those like those top advisor lists, they're all bloody corrupt. I'm going to do awards. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, they are. I'm going to call it like it is. <laughs> those bloody lists of the best advisors- No comment. <laughs> get corrupt. <laughs> So, we should create a list of advisors that are properly peer-reviewed and we should do- <laughs> I'd say corrupt is a slightly strong word. Not the advisors what I would themselves, say is but- that, Well, what we've seen, and this isn't, you know, this isn't a negative to them or to the, to the big groups that are doing advisor awards, that there's not as much recognition for people providing affordable advice, for people providing retirement advice, for yeah. younger advisors, for people advising accumulators. Mm. Like, naturally, everywhere we go, the, the awards and the focus is on- big pools of capital and the best advisors. Yeah, Whereas, so, well, it's ranked by who manages the most money. Yeah. I mean, Not apparently always. Apparently, there's an algorithm. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is 98% of the algorithm. That's correct. <laughs> uh, no, not naming names. But I think, so one thing we're, we're, we're looking at is how do you how do you encourage more of the younger advisors and, and there's some brilliant ones them out there. much more, like James O'Reilly has been on here before. Yeah. Uh, and, and many, many more. So, it's very, we, we are looking to do some awards. In future years, that are more focused around those more niche and growing areas, because the cohort of financial, of financial advisors isn't in their sixties. The growth is coming from the thirties and forties, yeah, uh, and they're naturally dealing with younger clients at the same time. So, I think it's we should champion those that actually provide really good advice. It doesn't matter where they sit on the spectrum; yeah. it should be on the quality of advice. But it's just so hard to quantify that that we just. Very difficult. Go some, with some other things. I would just say, like, as a something to avoid, um, some something to avoid is now this is not this is not like every case, but something to avoid are financial advisors that have a tendency to create SMSFs and put their clients in a property. Yeah, that is. There's often a reason why that happens, and it's not because of the financial advice. It's the thing on the other side, aka the property. Yeah. There can be some really strange things that happen on that side that may or may not be disclosed. So just be very mindful of anyone that tries to push you unnecessarily into something like that. I've heard some really shocking stories. It can be good, but it it, it just probably doesn't need to happen. And there's no magic. This is one of the things that well, a lot of these groups rely on. There's no magic formula. Everyone's got different formula. It's making sure your objectives and circumstances fit what that advisor, the way that advisor works. I've actually, there's so many different approaches. I'm going to give you a different theory. I want to tell, I want to ask you if you agree or disagree. <laughs> it's been pretty strong. Yeah, I've got some strong It's early in the morning. Today. This is what happens when we record at 7.30 in the morning. It's waddle day. So <laughs> Straight after your coffee. Yeah. Here's my opinion. I reckon that the reason that we've seen so many breweries in Australia is because financial advisors from five years ago can't sell their own managed funds anymore. So now they're selling their own beer in their new breweries. <laughs> Right. Conflict well, of interest? <laughs> Just as a note, Owen has Irish coffee on Fridays. Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> there was one really good question in here. Where was it? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, <laughs> one really good question. No, no, this one is other Philip Lowe's pinky toe. It, right down the bottom, I'm going to go to an oldie but a goodie. Hey, guys, love the Townsville Roadshow. Thanks, mate. Thanks for coming north. 
Is there an ETF that provides exposure to Berkshire Hathaway? No, there isn't. Um, you have to basically use one of those big ETFs from the S&P 500. There actually was. There was a listed investment company. Yeah, there was that, a link. It, it was like 40%. Was guy in, that we used to see at all the events. Yes. Uh, anyway, there was there was a lick that had about 40, 30, 40% of its portfolio invested in Berkshire from the ASX. GFL? Maybe. Anyway, I don't know. There's no ETF that does it. But one thing to keep in mind is Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's co- companies, often excluded, well, it is excluded from anything that invests on the NASDAQ because it's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. You have to use like IVV or like the S&P 500 type ETFs uh, because that will capture it. But uh, it's not included in the NASDAQ things. While Drew's looking up that- The problem um, you get with this though is, it, I think it is GFL, but the problem you get with this is if the thing doesn't have enough- um Volume, it's, you're going to trade at a discount anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're going to buy it for less than it's worth. So say in a listed investment company, if the assets inside it are worth a dollar, what we typically find is that listed investment companies will trade at about 90 cents. Um, so you've, oh, sorry, it's the other way around. Is it 61% in Berkshire Hathaway? Oh, right. Is it 61%? In GFL, Manipol. Oh, really? Manipol. Okay, GFL. Anyway, next question, Drew. The net tangible asset value. You're going to, while you're looking that up, I'm going to bring this one up into the- $3.59. I'm going to put this, this is right in the zeitgeist. So here we go. And the unit price is $2.90. So it's trading at a 20% discount to NTA. So it's kind of like- Yeah. Yeah, sorry. This I is was your- just on a tangent there. So <laughs> I'm back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. All right. So um, this one's right. You'll appreciate this one. I added this one late. Sophia, the AI is coming for you. Do you like that question and name? Yeah. <laughs> Sophia, the AI is coming for you, says, must be an Adelaide person. Um, G'day, gents. I enjoyed your roadshow in Adelaide. It was awesome to see you guys in person. My question is about rebalancing slash rebuilding one's share portfolio. For example, one starts investing and buying various types of shares as they learn more through podcasts like the Australian Finance and Australian Investors Podcast. Credit to you guys. (laughs) They want to narrow down to a simple portfolio. In your opinions, what would your approaches be in this scenario? Keeping in mind capital gains, tax losses, well, that's a good point. We would have probably mentioned that anyway. We'll also say that, you know, strictly general advice here because this is something that a lot of people do go through. So this is a general uh, problem that we see a lot. Uh, Collector syndrome, people buy too many shares or buy too many ETFs and they don't really have a plan, Drew. I actually dreamt about this last night and I'd just be wary that we're going to um, Future Proof next week. And uh, I'm worried they're going (laughs) to, someone's going to find out we've been saying credit to you. I just run around and say credit to you, credit to you, and see what happens. Maybe that'll get me a meeting. I was actually having a dream about building a share portfolio last night for some reason. What? Um, and it's a good question here because it'd be like if you were building a direct stock portfolio, hmm. what what minimum would you? How many shares would you? The, the issue that we have is we slowly buy some, but then we're super exposed to those few companies that we've got for that period of time. And I'm like, I wouldn't have a direct stock portfolio unless I've got at least 15 stocks kind of long-term stocks in it, if I'm going wow. direct. How long you got? <laughs> are you, okay, so what are we talking about? Just ASX? Strictly ASX? Yeah, let's just say, I, it, it, but you could say the same if you're going overseas. You want 10 to 15 stocks. I'm, I've just loosened yeah. it again. Yeah. yeah, okay, here we go. But 10 to, if you're just going to hold direct stocks and quality, quality large stocks. caps, 10 long, to 15. Long-term investing. Yeah, yeah. You want at least 10 to 15 if you're going to sit there. Okay. That gives you good sector exposure. However, you're going to say three <clears throat> Prometicus, Altium, <laughs> and RPM. <laughs> Just as a hedge, I don't want my portfolio to go up too fast. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> I think this is a bit of a. I think this is a hard style thing because <laughs> if you if you want, so if you're, you're a financial advisor, so you're creating portfolios and you'll be looking at maybe what ten to 15, 20 different positions. And inside those positions, they'll be diversified as well. Yeah, probably 30 positions because you're starting to include bonds yeah. and cash and all that. Yeah. Definitely. I would say if I was building just a share portfolio in Australia, I would probably be inclined to go with you in that 15 stocks. Yep. However, I would pay very, very close attention to the concentration. Yep. So not just the number of stocks, but the amount invested in them. And I would want, if I was picking a very good fund manager, Assuming I had a diversified portfolio of other things like bonds, global equities, whatever, I would want the top five positions to be at least 40% of that portfolio because I would want them to have conviction. Yeah. Sure, you've got the other Of the position. equity por- portfolio. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, would, yeah. I would want them to be have conviction. And the reason I say that, Drew, is because there's not that many great companies in Australia that you can buy and hold for the long term. And we've typically gone equal weight oh, really? in our ASX portfolio. So, oh, really? you might have more banks than resource companies or more this yeah. than that. And that's how you get your kind of sector weightings. But generally, it's equal weighting. We're not saying 5% in CBA and 1% in borrow. Yeah. That's generally going to be 2.5% in everything. It's really interesting because I've been working on this a lot lately. I think the portfolio concentration, the portfolio balancing strategies, I think we give a lot of – I'm not saying that this is the case for you because I think what you're doing is sounds pretty sensible to me – but I think a lot of investors don't pay enough attention to the fundamental strength or weaknesses of their businesses in position sizing. So yep. let me just unpack that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what I mean is, why don't we as an industry, as investments professionals, or even if anyone listening to this, why don't we make decisions on how much we invest in companies based purely on the company itself? not the portfolio. Like I get the whole correlation, blah, blah, blah. But why don't we say, well, you know, zero might be a company that's very volatile. The share price bounces up and down, but it's a very wide moat business. So why wouldn't we invest more in that? And the reason is because we've been told that we need to have lower volatility. And there aren't too many funds like that because it takes huge reputational risk for a fund manager to invest that way. I, I'm probably just going off into the clouds. And it, it depends is the answer. But say, but say like, a lot of – so there is, there is a story that says you should just go 100% equity oh, risk yeah, yeah. for 30 years and you'll be fine. Yeah, there is for sure because you smooth out the volatility. But what I mean is like say, for example, say I'm a fund manager and I walk in the Waddle Partners office and you're looking for an Australian small cap fund manager. You go, I'm not buying small caps, but I want you to buy small caps. Yep. What would you expect from them? Like just generally speaking, if we're going to pay a fee, we want active share. We want, want something to be really, really different that I couldn't just buy in an ETF index. Yeah, if they're going to charge me a fee, yeah, a exactly. higher fee for it. Exactly. But then I, if I go and deliver that for you, I take the risk that I don't do well, and I'll go out of business and lose my job. Yeah. So a lot of fund managers don't do that. Yeah, you've got career risk. Exactly. And so that's it's it's, it's a real thing. Some fund managers are really good at it and skilled at it, but that's why you get a lot of those short term things. All right, we've got time for maybe one more question, Drew. Which one do you want? There's some really good ones here. I like this name, um, Money Munger. Actually. Fran King. I like or... Fran King. That's a good name. Fran and then Space um, King. And then don't forget you got your question. The, the crowd say Bo Select AAA. Bo Selector? That. Is that a... I don't know what that... You don't know what that is? Bo Selector. I don't know. You haven't heard that before? 
I don't know. When I was grabbing your mocha frappuccino on the way in here, I was trying to think of good... <laughs> I was trying to think of some really interesting things. Um, oh, I see. One from what? Cream Cheese. Global Leaders from Beta Shares. Someone asked him about that. Cream Cheese. I would say, yeah, maybe. Um, maybe go with the qual. Look at quality. Have to rub aside it. Um, Money Mungo. Do you want me to just pick one? Yeah, go for it. I'm just trying to find both later. What is that? It's a Craig David reference. Remember when we... <laughs> with... <laughs> so, some, so someone finally picked up on it? Yep. Okay, so just a bit of an inside joke here. Drew and I sometimes, in some episodes, we will just go through an artist, like a, in this case Craig David, and we will take the song titles of all of his songs and see how many of those we can get into an episode before someone realizes I don't know if we lifted the lid on this before. Have we told people that we've done this before? No, we tried to do it the other night, but we forgot completely. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it with Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that next time. <laughs> yeah, maybe not Ed Sheeran now that we've given it away. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> bad habits and all that, you know what I'm saying? Okay, here we go. So I'm just going to go with um, this one. Money Munger says, love your podcast. This is the very first investment podcast I started to listen to since I started my investment in the stock market two years ago. Well, thanks. That's awesome. Yes, I started during the COVID lockdown. My question today is, should I put my money into the stock market or leave it in my investment property offset account? Well, we can't tell you what to do. So that's the first thing. Great question though. Like, I'm going to generalize the question from Moneymonger to say something like offset account versus, and it's on, a, it's on an investment property, which means- Tax deductible. Tax deductible. And also that- the interest that they would be paying on investment property loan is higher than owner-occupier. Yeah. They mind. Offset account, investing. Debate. It depends. <laughs> Good. And we'll leave it at that. So. <laughs> People, I think you have to say that now. Well, you do. Um, yeah. And Kate tagged me in that post on LinkedIn, remember? Which one was that? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> Lawyers and accountants, when no one actually provides advice, they just say, it depends. It always depends. Um, I mean, this is so personal and financial that it always does depend. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it, but generally parts of speaking, a couple is also important here too, because what, different parts of a couple have different risk profiles. So we met a client recently that had a lot of debt on investment properties. And when we raised the idea of selling their share portfolio to pay down that debt as an option, the responses from the two people were completely different. One's like, that's made me so uncomfortable for the last three years. And the other person was like, oh, I love risk. I love leveraging. So it can depend more. on the dynamics of that relationship. Um, and probably like how secure is your, your income? If you're running your own business, you probably want the flexibility of having that money yeah. in an offset account, um, which is why I'm probably more you know conservative that we do have, not that we've got cash flow issues, but you always think about yeah. if you might need cash at some point. Uh, and that's why I'm more lower risk in my personal investments and higher risk within businesses. That makes sense. Um, that's why I'd kind of justify it, I think. <laughs> yeah, so you're rock solid and then you, you do take risk. You take very concentrated risk on the yeah. businesses. But if you're in a P, like strong PIYG work, well- Yeah, you'd, secure employment. Yeah, you're just using it for compounding. You're just doing debt recycling. Um, you just want to make sure everyone's on the same page. And you've got a good strategy around what's going to happen when the market falls. Yeah. Depends on this loan. So, like a lot of this is just generally speaking, because I want to be very cautious about this, because this is a big decision for someone's life. So, we're going to keep it general. But on an investment property, you would be paying over 6% in interest. Now, of course, that's tax deductible. 
if you structure it correctly, of course. But um, like in by by tax deductible, I mean on the interest component. Keep that in mind. Um, You're diversifying your risk too. Yeah, I would just say you should sit down with someone here because it may even just be a better option just to get rid of the leverage altogether and have exposure to a diversified portfolio over the long term. Sleep better at night. I think my note for this one was reasonable versus rational. Now, what's rational is that you would probably take the money, invest it, keep the leverage in a spreadsheet. Five years from now, you get the assumptions. You're like, brilliant. But does that help you sleep easy at night? I don't think it does. I I think, like I, I was telling the story, I think it was in Brisbane. I, th- I think, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I was telling the story in Brisbane. One of my mates is a really good investor. Um, he's, a, he's a director of research and um, really good investor. He puts all, basically all of his money into his offset account. I'm like, bro, chuck it in the spreadsheet, see what happens. And he's like, I know that, but I have a family and I want to make sure that I'm comfortable. You got to be put away. Yep. Yeah. And so this is a question is just that like, it's whatever, at the end of the day, it's what makes you feel like you're comfortable to do it. Because I was chatting to a, um, Tom Wickenden this week from BetaShares and uh, he had this wonderful chart showing the behavior gap. And basically there's this study that shows that in, in ETFs, index funds and managed funds, the actual investors inside those funds do worse than the fund itself. And that's because they have the emotional elements which weigh on their returns. Um, so I would just say, stick with what's reasonable uh, for some people, this is a very big decision to invest or not to invest. Hey, I realized we didn't answer the question from before about kind of liquidating a portfolio. I don't know what you're laughing about. We'll get to that in a section. But, but what I would say, the capital gains tax, if you're in accumulation phase of your wealth creation, you're going to pay tax when you sell a winning company or ETF or something like that. But you'll also maybe able to offset that if you get proper tax advice with some losses. I would say if you're investing for the very long term, the best time to sit down and do a proper plan of your future and wealth creation is right now. Yeah. Because the longer you leave it, the longer it's just a mess, you're going to have you're going to be pulling your hair out and you're not going to allow yourself to compound because you're going to be continually questioning yourself. Um, through ETFs and these types of things, it's very, very easy now to be diversified with a few holdings in a portfolio in your core portfolio, and then you can have your satellite around the outside. Uh, what were you laughing at? I just found a dad joke. All right. Well, this is the end of the show. We have to pick a name. I reckon Sophia the AI is coming to yeah, you. Yeah, I like that. Coming for you. Loving it. Sophia the AI is coming for you. If you wrote in with that, um, great one. We did have a bit of a, a, uh, an event in Adelaide. Um, Speaking of events, Waddle Partners, uh, Waddle Day today. Have fun with that, mate. Will do. Get in contact with the guys at Waddle Partners, Drew here, Jamie, the rest of the team, Renato, uh, Fatuma, Roshana, everyone there uh, do a great job. So you can find a link to that. It says financial planning in the link in your show notes. Uh, you can get in contact with me on Twitter at Owen Rask. But please come along to an event on the 3rd of October in Sydney. We are going big or going home. Um and 26th of October we, in Melbourne too. 26th of October in Melbourne, a few weeks later. Retirement event. So you'll find the full link in the show notes to both of those. Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney is for everyone. Come along. It's 40 bucks a ticket. Don't forget those coupon codes, friend or friends. Um, Melbourne, free event. Water partners, uh, get around it. But we have to go off into the distance, Drew. We have to sail off into the sunset here. And this is the bit that everyone looks forward to. It actually goes... This, then the disclaimer, then the questions, <laughs> then the rambling nonsense at the start of the show. 
Uh, maybe this one isn't appropriate. We'll find out. Okay, we'll um, find out. Let us know. Also, if you if you ever think that we're doing something on the podcast and you think there seems to be something going on here, like a reference to a musician, a place, a person, if you can pick, if you can pick that uh, each week, just send us a message via the comments. Take a photograph. Take a photograph. Okay. <laughs> send us a message to say you you've cracked the code. You know what we were talking about. Send Write a in. question with your eyes closed. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go for it, mate. What have you got for us? Andrew Derrimuth, taking us off. Go for it. What's Forrest Gump's password? Far out. One so- Forrest one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god! Credit to Men's Health Magazine for that one. Men's Health Magazine, shout out. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but go and subscribe. Sounds good. All right, mate. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.